Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Hello, hello. Welcome in, boys and girls, to another episode of the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, and I'm alongside career advisor Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And we are also alongside Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? Happy to have you guys today. So for today's episode, we have a deep discussion topic. How does one find inspiration? I know, deep, right? Free retiree show doesn't cross your mind when you think about deep inspirational stuff. Um, I mean, Serge, what do you think? Hey, I think we're pretty inspirational. Sometimes depends on the day. Some mm. of us more than others, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll agree speak, to that. Speak to yourself. Speak for yourself, Lee. So on, I inspire others on a daily. I'm sure you believe you do. So on this show, we we talk about career, we talk about money, we talk about success. All those pretty darn hard to master if you don't find inspiration. So for today's episode, we have Asif Mustafa. He is a world-renowned speaker. Guys, literally, he is one of the best speakers I've seen. He has a really famous talk on YouTube. It's called To Be the Best, Be a Weirdo. It's amazing. This guy is an entertainer. In his, if, you, if you haven't done so, look this up on YouTube. He sings. He entertains. It's just a great, phenomenal presentation. He's also the head of culture and transformation and employee engagement at Cellcom. And Cellcom is one of the telecommunications in Malaysia. It's the oldest one. And they generate roughly $1 billion in revenue. Wow. So super stoked to have him on. But I got to start us off, guys. I know we're not the experts on this, obviously. But how do you guys find inspiration? Before we learn from actually someone that knows what they're doing, I just, I just got to hear this just to entertain myself. I mean, that, that question is pretty easy. I mean, definitely my son. By far, so much motivation oh, and inspiration from, from him, no doubt. Before, like, okay, he gave you an out like two years ago, right? Because he just came <laughs> on the scene. Before that, how did how did Matt McElroy find inspiration? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I, 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 I was that. lost. <laughs> I was lost before that. <laughs> also, too, you know, also, I mean, maybe Sergio can speak to this too. But like, you know, one, having a kid too just kind of kind of changes things. It changes your outlook. It yeah. changes your mindset, your goals, your priorities, and you know, it just it changes you. So it's you know. That's kind of yeah. what happened. Yeah, I'm like, uh, echo <laughs> echo what Matt said. So I've, you know, I've got two kids. I think most of our listeners know by now, but uh, that anytime I'm in a dark place or trying to give up, like they're, they're the reasons why, like, I keep going. You know, it's, it's for them, right? Like it's, when you have kids, it's no longer about you. Um, I know this is maybe an outlet, but like, it's, it's just the truth. No, <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it. I just got to give you guys a hard time. So I'm going to say my dog, Jackson. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> You know, so the way we define uh, inspiration, that's another thing. 
is when we were talking about this. I got this actually. Um, it's funny that we're doing this because a good friend actually messaged me this week and was like, how does one find inspiration? A shout out to Eric. Um, and I was like, man, that's a really deep, good question that I don't think we put a lot of thought into. And so for me, you know, just defining inspiration, you know, I look at it as a combination of what gives you purpose, uh, what makes you generate creativity. And so a lot of that has to do for me, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but just being around good people, being around creative people, um, that's kind of what inspires me, you know, and to make sure that whatever I'm doing is is going to lead to something better, right? It makes a difference. Um, but like I said, we're not the deepest thinkers on the Free Retiree Show. That's why we have someone great coming on. We're going to go to a quick break. Um, but if you have questions, you know, send us uh, questions at ask at the com. And, you know, like we said before, if you have a topic you want us to pre present, career-related, business-related, legal-related, send it. We love to do episodes based off what our listeners really like. Yeah, I think I think we kind of messed that one up a little bit, guys. I think we're going to be in trouble. N none of us said our wives were in inspiration. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> shoot. yeah, we should we should redo that. <laughs> Retake. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> into the free retiree show we're sitting down with azif mustafa azif how are you doing today i am excellent thanks for having me on this show man man we are so honored to have you i mean just to start off man we saw you on your ted talk you are an entertainer my friend you entertain you engage you even sing it i mean you shout it how did you i gotta just ask just to start this show off how did you become such a phenomenal public speaker well, <laughs> well, thanks. But uh, actually, that was that was actually very hard. It was very tough on me because uh, you know this perception of what a TED speaker has to be, and it, it uh, you're talking about inspiration, and TED speakers are supposed to be this inspiration to everyone. So it put a lot of pressure on me. Uh, and so before I did that talk, I, I spoke to a lot of my friends, and you know I tried to get inspiration from the people I meet. And one guy said, you know, you're a good speaker. You speak all the time because in my previous job, I had all these opportunities to be on stage and speak to various, uh, various audiences. But he said, you know, it's not enough to be good. You're on the TED stage. You have to be great. You have to do something that you've never done before. You need to push yourself. So which is what I did. Uh, and the biggest secret I found about TED speakers, I read a book, Chris Anderson wrote a book about how to talk like Ted. And the biggest secret is practice. You need to practice and practice and practice. And the, the, the best speakers that seem the most natural and the most off the cuff are the ones that put in the work and have practiced hundreds and hundreds of times. So that's how you do it. You practice. Awesome. Hey, we've had a couple of TEDx speakers. Who's Ted? 
Does anyone know who Ted is? He's a teddy bear, right? <laughs> Steve, do you know who Ted is? Does anyone know who Ted is? Nobody knows who Ted is. It stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. Got it. Got it. <laughs> now I know. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining the show, man. We're, we're happy to have you. So we want to know, Cellcom, what are you doing for them? Sounds like you have a big fancy title, but explain to us. <laughs> what, what do you do? Right. I My job is to make sure that the people who work in Cellcom, their jobs don't suck. That's my job. To make them happy to come to work, to make them inspired, uh, to have them engaged with the organization. Because research shows that people who are engaged and happy at work are so much more productive, at least three times more productive, I think, the research shows. And the companies with the highest employee engagement scores outperform companies who have low engagement scores by many times. So, I mean, if you look at the top, the Fortune 500, they all have very high engagement scores. So it's, it's an investment worth making. So they, may, they created my job so that I can, I'm able to meet up with people and, uh, you know, uh, solve their problems and make sure that they're happy to come to work. I mean, that sounds like a really hard job. I mean, it's hard enough for each of us to find inspiration, it sounds like. So how, how does this one find inspiration for thousands of people? Yeah, we have about 3,000 people working for us. Uh, and I have not been in this job very long. I, I started in January 2018. So it's almost rolling up to two years now. And the, on my first day of my job, my boss said, my boss is the chief human resource officer of the, of the company. So he goes, you need to meet people. You need to know what their issues are, what they're facing, how their lives are. So uh, I immediately got on a plane and I flew around the country and I literally met almost everyone in the company. Uh, and I know how many now, because we just made a presentation to the chairman of the company and we put a number there, 98.6% coverage. That's how many people I met. So, wow. and I thought that was a great deal. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I met 98.6 people percent of the people and he goes what happened to the 1.4 people you didn't meet <laughs> so it's hard to it's hard to you know impress the chairman man <laughs> how do you set the tone from a culture standpoint is it just i mean i can already tell just from talking to you you seem humble genuine do you kind of use the same approach with everyone you meet no matter who it is or how, how do you kind of well yeah execute it, on that whether it's on my job or what I learned is that people immediately smell and taste and can tell if you're authentic or not. So, and that has become the biggest thing in my career and my life really uh, is to be real and to be who I am. And as soon as I put on airs, or I pretend to be someone I'm not, people immediately know that. So the first round, the wave of uh, trips that I made was really just to set the tone and to tell people that this is who I am and you can trust me and I'm here really just to make sure that you can do your job better and that, that's why I'm here. So that really helped and it really you know, uh, made my job a lot easier because people realize that I'm there for them and that's what I'm, I'm here for. All right, Asif, you know, so I work at Facebook and a lot of companies in the Silicon Valley talk about building a strong culture, but a lot of them honestly just don't execute. Um, how do you make sure like the lower level managers are actually implementing what they say and what they're supposed to be implementing from a culture standpoint? 
Right. I mean, that's tough. That's a million dollar question because in order for anyone to buy into the culture, number one, they need to believe in it. So you need to tell them about it. You need to show them. And number two, they need to have role models. So if the top management, if the CEO and the C-suite don't walk the talk, it's, it's dead, dead in the water. There's no way you can create a culture if there is no strong leadership that is showing the path. Uh, and also, very importantly, is that the formal mechanisms, the uh, performance evaluations, the you know promotion exercises, all of that has to be in line as well. So if you miss out in any one of these points, there's really little hope of creating the culture that you want. Everything has to go together. Culture is not something stuck in HR, although I do report to the chief of HR. It is something that cuts across the entire organization. So it's important to build coalitions, build support, get top level sponsorship and just, just do it. You know, we need to lead the charge. I was hired to be the chief cheerleader and that's who I am. Uh, and you know, that's what I do. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. What, what, <clears throat> what led you to that job? Oh, that was, that's a roundabout trip, man. I was previously uh, the CEO of a national federal level agency on innovation. So, and before that, I had many, many different jobs, but uh, I spent a lot of time, six years actually building up this new uh, foundation uh, under the Ministry of Science, the Federal Ministry of Science. So I actually reported to a board of trustees that was chaired by the Minister of Science himself. So it was a long journey to get there, but I had thought I was at kind of the pinnacle of my career, right? I was 40 years old. I, I was the boss. Uh, and as a CEO of, of a government agency, you get a lot of nice perks, man. I, ha I had a driver who was also a bodyguard. He was trained in firearms. I had- You, a, you had your own bodyguard? Secretary. I had my bodyguard. <laughs> oh, I had, that's legit. <laughs> I had a Why'd you leave? That sounds amazing. <laughs> I had a I had a personal <laughs> secretary. I had basically the whole company was geared towards making sure that I did my job right, right? Because I had people doing stuff for me. Um, but after six years, you know, things happened. It was kind of a political appointment. Uh, it was directly under the, the the minister's office, and ministers come and go, and politics is. That, that's the nature of politics. And people get elected, people lose elections, and suddenly I'm out of a job, out of the blue. And uh, that kind of announcement came to me on a Friday, and we were going to have this big Eid party. And we're Muslims, we have Eid, which is our big celebration on Saturday. And we had tents up and we had you know, a few hundred people coming over. And I read this text and that's how I got the message that I lost my job. I got a text wow. message uh, from the head of HR of my company. And he said, the minister said this, this, and this, and basically you don't have a job, come and clear out your office. So this was on a Friday and Saturday, we had this big party and I was looking at my wife and I said, if I tell her this now on Friday, she's gonna tear down all these tents and chase everyone away <laughs> and we're not gonna so i didn't tell her i didn't tell her until sunday morning after the party so it's smart that's tough that's smart yeah, that choice. doesn't sound like good culture it does no, not sound like good culture at all no not 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 really honestly up till that point i didn't really think about this because i've always had 
pretty good jobs. I've always been working really, really hard and earning money. But that was the day when I knew that I didn't have a salary coming up at the end of the month. And how was I going to pay for the house and the cars and my kids in school? Yeah. So that hit hard. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm serious about making sure I have, I have savings and, you know, uh, I, I can put bread on the table. That's crazy. Not having a job is, is crazy. Yeah, the, especially with people situation. depending on you. Yeah. yeah, and and I went from driver bodyguard to nothing. I I literally after searching for work for you know I, I ran out of cash. I had to take a little scooter. I mean, you guys have been in Thailand, you know these little scooters that everybody rides. I have one of those, so I had to ride that an hour to KL from my house from Kuala Lumpur, the capital, and that's where the action is. So every day I would take that journey on my little scooter for an hour just to find work. So it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's dangerous driving on those scooters. <laughs> I remember I, I took me on a tuk tuk sure. once and it was probably the worst scare of his life. That's the closest I think I've ever come to dying. <laughs> those, those little tuk tuks. Oh, those are awful. No, no, for real, for real. Every day I went out of the house and I was prepared for death. I, I was I was making prayers and I kissed my wife goodbye and I would I would ride out into the sunset and it's it's, it's like a free for all almost it's, it's pretty scary <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah so from there I I got a couple of gigs you know helping friends out and one thing led to the other and I was asked by another state government this time not a federal government to organize a festival of ideas for their state. And this was the first time they'd ever done it. And we went big because I, I was like, you know, go big or go home, right? So I had a small team and we had the most number of events in a week. We made the, the, world, the, the record books for that one. And we had like tens of thousands of people visit this festival. Uh, and right after that, I had an offer uh, to join Cellcom. So it was, it was amazing. It's an awesome story. That's awesome. I see if I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, uh, how did you end up at Indiana State University? I was actually <laughs> born in I was born in Indianapolis. No so way. I'm no curious. Way. I'm curious. How did you end up in Indiana? I go, actually saw it too. I was like, oh, how? Go Hoosiers. <laughs> no, it, go it Hoosiers. That's right. That's, That's not what right. we want to hear on this show. <laughs> No, Man, actually it goes Sergio way and I back. are competitors on this. Like, I'm Michigan State. He's a Hoosier, and that's what we battle. Oh, got one for you, Sergio. Come on up. Uh, so, in in uh, this is going to age me. In 1971, I was three years old, and my dad went to IU Bloomington uh, yeah, to do to do his PhD. <laughs> so he brought all seven children with him. Uh, and so we lived there for four years. So uh, Midwest American is my first language because I first learned to speak there. And when I came back, when I was seven, almost eight years old is when I learned my national language, Bahasa Malaysia. So <laughs> that's where that came from. So when it came time for me to go to college, uh, I had no clue. I didn't know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And the government at that time was quite... Um, generous so as soon as you do well in your high school uh they set you up to go to either the us or the uk to do your degree with a scholarship so that's what i did and they wow. told me where to go i didn't even choose and suddenly i ended up in 
good old Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> he had no choice, Sergio. Just want, just want to make that clear. He had no choice. Hey, you stay out of this. <laughs> so, Terre Haute sounds like a terrible place. Though. It is. <laughs> For people of our skin tone. <laughs> That was wow. quite alien <laughs> there. <laughs> but I digress. Go ahead, Lee. Sorry. So let's go to our main discussion topic. The reason why he's on our show today, which is how does one find inspiration? Azif, tell us, like, how do we do it? Like, you're the master. We're here to listen. You know what? Um, what uh, Matt and Sergio answered, and even you, Lee, was perfect because inspiration doesn't come from this big thing in the sky or a huge celebrity or none of that you know inspiration comes from your day-to-day -day interactions with other human beings or dogs in your case lee um, <laughs> but i think those moments matter right those are the moments that really bring you down to earth and that's what really matters because i had a boss he, he was a ceo too i was working for him and and he retired and he told me he said azif the day after you are out of office, you become a no one. And, and the day you're in office, people carry your bags, people make coffee for you and do all of these sort of things. But the day after, he says, you're no one. And I didn't really believe it until it happened to me. So I know now that position doesn't mean nothing. You know, the title behind after your name is nothing. It's these little interactions you have with other people and the kindness you face or the kindness you give out to other people, this is what's inspiring. And I've, you know, lived my life since then to kind of live for these little moments because that's really what it's all about, guys. Yeah, I, think, I think that's a great answer, yeah. You know, I, I watched your, your TED Talk and what, I really enjoyed the topic of like, you know, you don't have to you know, recreate the wheel and come up with these original ideas. The ideas are out there, you know, go find them and kind of make them your own. And, and yeah, I just thought that was because it, it, it translates so much into what we do as like lawyers is that, you know, everybody thinks that lawyers got to come up with these crazy new arguments and be, you know, so creative and everything. It's like, no, we just got to go find the argument. You know, somebody's made it in some other court before and, the, you know, the courts have decided on it. It's like we, we don't have to, you know, go recreate the wheel there. We can, you just got to find it. And, precisely, and I don't know. precisely. We're standing on shoulders of giants. I think that's what I said, because that's, that's really what we're doing, right? People have already cleared the path. Uh, I mean, there's obviously there's argument for novel, novel totally new innovations, and, and that has a place, but. I don't think we need to do that every day. I mean, we're living our lives 24 hours a day and it's in yeah. that moment where you are with somebody or you're thinking about something or you're doing something and that's what really matters. So, you know, it's not the big things in life that matters really. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so I work in Silicon Valley and I see a lot of people get obsessed with titles and, and, and roles and like, they just put everything into work. But like, they die tomorrow the company's going to fill the role in a week exactly so like what what you're saying is like super resonating with me because i see it every day in silicon valley exactly. people are killing themselves for these companies and it's like and i've been i've been that guy i'm no longer that guy but i've been that guy and like it's not worth it trying to chase it right yeah but yeah, you know but in in my case it's kind of full circle i did the entrepreneurship thing for 10 years 
and we built companies. And if you go down my profile on LinkedIn, there's a shot of me on CNN. So we were at that level. We were, we were raising funds globally. And it was, this was at the start of the uh, internet thing. So this was a long time ago. But we had an offering and we had value and we had uh, investors knocking on our door. Um, and I was flying around the world trying to raise these funds as a young man. Uh, and so that collapsed uh, and I lost all my money. Another financial story for you guys. Um, so I lost all my money and I was in debt and I was on the verge of bankruptcy. And in, in Malaysia, the bankruptcy laws are terrible. If you're a bankrupt, you can't do anything. It's, it's as if they, they stack the cards so that you really can't climb out of it. Because you can't get a loan, you can't really get a, even a real job, you can't buy a house, you can't enter into agreements that, so basically you can't do anything. Uh, but I was on the verge of that, luckily I managed to secure some money to pay off all of that debt. But payoff is, you know, I'm still paying that off, I probably will still be paying it off until I retire. So, I mean, uh, one of the things you said, Lee, that resonated with me is don't make these massive financial mistakes right now. I definitely made those. So I made a massive financial mistake and I'm still paying for it. But uh, I think there's light in the head of the tunnel. Uh, I'm, I'm making good money. I'm saving good money. And I think I can, I can retire uh, maybe in, in when I'm 60, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good right now. You know, obviously you're just a positive person, right? I, I think it's a lot of people will look at you and say like, well, it's easy for him because he's such a nice, likable dude. <laughs> I don't like life that much. I am, you know, I'm, there, there's a lot of people that we meet, you know, they're more negative in nature and they feel like the world's against them. And it's hard when you're coming from that point, whatever's happened to you. And granted, a lot of people are coming from different places and that might be, you know, a difficult situation. How do you find that inspiration if you're in that space? Like for the people that are, that want to find it, that can't find it, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that. My wife tells me all that all the time. It's easy for you, but <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it's not, you know, like you said, we don't know where anyone is, right? What that moment in time is for anyone. And people can be struggling and people can be, um, having it easy. I think what resonated with me is this concept of circle of influence and circle of concern. So we have this circle of concern. We're concerned about the weather. We're concerned about COVID. We're concerned about market collapsing. None of these things are under your control. None, you can't, you can't control any of that. So any time spent worrying about those things that you can't control is really unproductive and really wasted energy. So if you can focus your energies on your circle of influence, what can you change and what can you do? And basically, your influence is yourself. So if you focus inwardly and say, what can you do to change this situation? What can you do to get up off of your butt and do something? And that is, you know, what drives. And throughout my years, that has what has saved me. I've always been able to get back up and get on the horse and, you know, try something new uh, although i failed many times but uh, it's that ability to roll with it and just keep on going keep on trying so i know i have that ability and that makes me calm and that makes me centered and i know i'm able to do it again even if i lo lose my job 
you know, tomorrow, I, I know I'm, I'm able to climb out of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Focusing on what you can control. Because yeah. there's so much there's so much going on with it. We can't control a lot of things right now. No, it's crazy no. out there. Yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, how is how is Malaysia in, in the whole COVID situation? I mean, are you guys like, how's the corporate culture over there affected? Are you guys working at home too? Or are you guys, are there yeah. different protocols put in place for, you know, at the office? At the national level, we have managed it really, really well. I think we've gotten a lot of uh, recognition and praise globally for how the Malaysian government has handled this how we've, uh, you know, taking control over many of the things that is happening. So uh, we started this movement control order nationwide uh, back in March. Uh, but the interesting thing is our company, Cellcom, was run by committee, by the, by the business continuity committee that was chaired by the CEO. And I was a member of that. So we would meet every day starting from February something. And we meet every day and that's how the company was run during that period. And interestingly enough, the day before the government announced that everybody had to work from home, we had already sent all of our workers home because we knew that this is dangerous and we had health of our employees as paramount. And we said, you guys better go home and, and work. And we'd never done that before. Although we're a technology company, we had never experienced remote workers. We had never experienced that level of trust uh, so it really accelerated our digital journey, to, to say the least. And we are now still working from home. I am working from home at least because some states have it worse. And the, the, where I'm living uh, has still a, an increase in infection. So we're working from home, but some of the states are, are back to normal. Was it a hard transition to, to bring everybody to, to work at home? No, that's the thing. I mean, for a person like me and my job is actually meeting people and looking them in the eye and telling them to trust me. Uh, I thought it was going to be difficult, but in the end of the day, it actually became easier for me because, you know, at a click of a button, I now can meet everyone nationwide. If I want it at one go, right. I can go on Microsoft live right now and just broadcast to 10,000 people. And I can do that. Uh, but before I had to buy plane tickets and stay in a hotel and book, ballrooms and stuff to to meet a lot of people which was fun for me i enjoy meeting people but uh i feel that right now it's even easier because like in this meeting we're in now we can have a chat and that chat will be documented and archived and this meeting will be recorded and all of that is now digitized and in our company that's that's gold because we don't have to go back to notes we don't have to you know everything's recorded so we found that it's actually good and we didn't find any decline in productivity our revenues of course suffered a bit people are worried about spending so they're not buying new devices they're not adding yeah. you know more data or any of that so but because we are an essential goods essential service our revenues have have you know been pretty good till today and so since your job is kind of like <clears throat> it's very you know pre-pandemic, it was very person-to-person -person oriented. Are, do you feel like you're still able to be as effective through, you know, video chat, you know, these big video seminars? Yeah, it's, I mean, part of that really is not being able to judge body language. And I mean, it's the four of us. So all of us have our cameras on. But if I have 200 people, I won't be able to see anyone. But, but I do these 200 
person's meetings regularly, at least twice a week. So I have different groups that I talk to uh, and we, you know, use tools like Menti or any interactive tools so that people can share what they want to do. Uh, and because I'm, I did the work in getting on the plane, getting on the bus and meeting all of these people, they know me. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of nice to tune in to somebody in, you know, Borneo and have familiar faces online and they're happy to see me. And we have these nice conversations and I, I keep doing this regularly. What my boss, the CEO has done is he runs every two weeks, basically a town hall with everyone in the company, 3000 people. So every two weeks he gets on the camera and he talks to people from his heart and people know where he's at. Uh, and recently we had, actually we've been very, very lucky. Only two persons among the 3000 people that work for us have con contracted COVID. So uh, when the first person got it, she was in Sabah, which is on the island of Borneo. Uh, he ran a huge meeting and she, she actually dialed in from the hospital where she was recovering. Uh, and that was an, like an amazing moment. And you imagine the CEO of his major corporation is asking this woman, he actually didn't know she was online. She was asking her boss or her boss's boss's boss, now, how's this lady doing, right? How, how is she coping? And she got on and said, hey, I'm here. <laughs> I'm in the hospital, I'm recovering, but I'm here. But that was just a beautiful moment. So we can connect. Human beings are able to adapt and connect, even though we're, you know, around across the globe from each other I, I feel a connection with all three of you right now so the job it still goes on and I'm, I'm able to do it I think uh, well with with the restrictions that we have so Azif how does one inspire others especially like you know in a company setting how do you inspire others in general and then I have a second part to this question how do you inspire others during COVID yeah, that's, that was tough. Uh, we had to figure out how they were doing, first of all. So we ran a pulse survey and we asked people how they're doing. Uh, every time I engage with people, I really want to know if they're doing okay or not. And I make it really, really clear that it's okay to ask for help if you're struggling, because some people really do struggle when they're stuck at home. Uh, and it's okay to reach out. And we have an employee assistance program and we have psychologists on, on call you know, to help people if they're struggling mentally. So that's uh, one of the ways is to just create that connection. Uh, and we also, in our leadership development cycle, we actually, the aim is to develop inspirational leaders. That's what we aim to do. So, I mean, we train people on how to listen, uh, how to, you know, uh, deal with, uh, with, from the heart, with empathy, uh, we actually train our leaders on storytelling, which was interesting because I don't think any other uh, major Malaysian company does this. Uh, we took all of, we offered this training to all the top hundred leaders in the organization because we understood that by telling stories, that's how you inspire people. And people are, are used to listening to stories and they crave stories actually. And which is what you guys are doing, why people tune into your podcast because you're telling stories every time. Uh, and people are not used to that. So if you don't, you're not used to telling stories, especially at work, because it doesn't feel like a corporate thing to do, uh, we have to train people. So we had a master storyteller bring us through the whole process, how to get a story out, how to bring dry, boring financial stuff 
<laughs> into a more story format so that people uh, are more inspired by it. So that's what we were doing. Uh, I have to ask you, your father, your late father, he was a top professor in drama at a Malaysian university from what I understand. How, I mean, what, what influence did he play on your life? First off, I got to say, he would be very proud of you just from what we've seen on that TEDx, like, God, he would be amazingly proud of you. I don't know if he got to witness that, but no, he didn't. What, yeah. What what impact did he have on your life and how you present and storytell? I mean, I, oh, I imagine he had to have something. No, he was massive, massive. He he was a master at it. Uh, he wrote uh, dramas. He wrote scripts for dramas that are still today being studied in schools because it was so groundbreaking that if you take literature in school, you actually learn about him and his work. So he was wow, that influential awesome. on a national level. Uh, and on a personal level, of course, I mean, he's my hero, man. I mean, he is my inspiration. He was an amazing man. He went to the States to do his PhD. He was one of the first Malays. I mean, I mean if you're talking about race, I'm a Malay. Uh, and he was one of the first to ever get his PhD. So it, it was amazing. Uh, and he, I remember when I was eight years old, I entered this storytelling competition uh, at school. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. So I went to him, of course, the master, and said, Dad, I'm in this competition. So he goes, okay, where's the story? And he, I tell you, to this day, I can remember I was in the bedroom rolling on the floor laughing because he was so into it and he was climbing on the bed. He was telling the story like it was, it was his life depended on it. So I, I didn't really think about that throughout my adult life until recently, really, until really that uh, TEDx moment when I said, oh, my goodness, my whole life has been really uh, geared for this. And my dad being who he is and how inspirational, inspirational he is really brought me to that moment. Uh, and I just recalled everything he's done for me. It was amazing. Thanks for asking that, man. That's that's really, that's really incredible. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing to just knowing the backstory of your father and then seeing you present. I'm like, God, there has to be a huge, <laughs> you know, cause and effect there. So that was totally uh, that was totally obvious. Um, we, you know, we've we've loved having you on the show, man. You you've taught us a ton. You're always welcome back. Uh, but we gotta ask. I saw we saw that you're a big NBA fan or basketball fan. <laughs> I gotta know who, who's your team. What players Man. you like? <laughs> uh, you can call me a bandwagoner, bandwagoner. Uh, but I, I, it's still, uh, it's still the Warriors. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Yes. There we go. There oh, we you go. guys are all Warrior fans. Yes. We're all yes. Warrior fans. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We've only we've only gotten like Laker fans on here, Milwaukee Bucks fans keep pissing us off, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but that's on my bucket list though to go watch them play. Uh, and I haven't had a chance yet. So wait till the maybe sky's in open. like next year, maybe? I don't know. Hopefully. Some point late next Hopefully. year, maybe? Hopefully. Hey man, if you if you that's on the bucket list when this whole COVID thing gets done, let us know. We'll take you to the game, man. I it's only love for that. us. It's only like thirty minutes away. Forty no minutes. Way, yeah, it's real really? close for us. Yeah. Wow, I would love that. Yes, that's on my list. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show, Azif. You've been amazing. Um, if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, how can they get a hold of you? 
LinkedIn. Uh, I'm big on LinkedIn right now. I think it is uh, a massive opportunity. If you're not on it yet and you're not seriously on it, you guys uh, need to be on it seriously because so many people are on it right now, about 700 million people. And only, and about 300, half of them, 350 million people are on every single week. But only 3 million people produce content on a weekly basis. So if you guys produce anything, a post, an article, a podcast excerpt that you post on LinkedIn once a week, you are in the top 1% of users. And you can imagine the eyeballs that you're going to get and the interactions wow. that you're going to get from that. So it is massive opportunity. It's not going to be here for long. Uh, you know, once the content creators come on board and the advertisers come on board, you know, it's, it's, this is face, what Facebook was a few years ago. So it's incredible. I think everyone should be on there. If you want to look for me, just Google Azif Mustafa. As anybody has, you, you can find my TEDx talk. But look for me on LinkedIn. I post every single day. I'm going to have a live LinkedIn live show starting next Tuesday. So I got to plug that. Uh, we're going to go live at 9 p.m. Malaysian time, which should be about 8 a.m. your time. Uh, and I have a lineup all throughout um, January uh, with chief culture officers with CEOs from around the world. So I have, I think, five countries now uh, coming on my nice. show. So please tune into that. It's called Culturism. Ooh, I like that. Very cool. Oh, I just sent you a connection request. <laughs> nice. and, I'm, and I'm following you now. Nice. <laughs> nice. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed uh, being on your show. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you for coming thank on. All right, everyone, you've been listening to Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.